Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Event Industry News podcast. I am Adam Parry, the editor of Event Industry News and your host today. Um, today, I'm joined by Sam Cook, co-founder at Esports Insider. Sam, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Adam. Thank you for having me. Um, Sam, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, but um, I thought there were some interesting tidbits of, of you on your line and your profile. So you launched and founded Esports Insider in the summer of 2016, right? We did August, I believe. And now you've, with you and your team, you've built up arguably kind of the top source, one of the top sources for esports news and events in the in the world, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. So we spent the first year essentially establishing the website and the presence media-wise. And then 2017 onwards, we've built the events arm and kind of new arms to the company. But yeah, the uh, the website was how we first got started and it's generally what we're best known for still today. So what was your background prior to that then? Did you, were you already in media and events or did you see, were you in esports? How did that kind of fit together? Yeah, a bit of a weird route to, uh, to it, I suppose. So I did the whole traveling bit after university and lived, um, lived abroad for a couple of years. And whilst I was doing that, I was doing some journalism online for a site called SBC News. So SBC is a company which um, still, we're still a part of the SBC group. So it's yep. the Sport Global Group as it's now known. But back then, this was around 2014 or so. I forget, it's too long ago now, mate. But uh, we were covering betting news. So SBC News is a gambling industry uh, news portal. Um, I suggested to them at the time when I was doing a bit of freelance journalism for them that we start covering esports betting through an industry lens because no one was really doing it at the time. And esports definitely was then, still kind of is now a very new market. So the bookmakers and obviously one that um, they're all paying a lot more attention to now, now that sports are at least on pause, right? Mm. So the esports betting side of things went quite well with SBC. We brought it into some of the events and panels, and then we decided to establish, essentially replicate SBC's business model, but for esports more broadly. So yeah, I didn't come from like a an esports or gaming background as such. It was actually more via the the betting industry route that um, that ESI was born. Good for you to spot, I suppose, a, a growing and opening niche within an existing kind of larger global global sector, right? Um, you saw it obviously a, an opportunity or a gap in the market where things weren't getting covered off. And um, fair play to the company for, for listening to you because my own experience yeah. of actually launching event industry news was very similar to that. Except mm. Mine went the other way. They told me that that was not a good idea and I left and set up on myself, but that's another story. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, SBC, I've been fortunate enough that SBC, I've backed it. Um, so Rasmus and Andy in the early days and SBC has grown a, a considerable amount in the past few years since then as well. They have offices in New Jersey and whatnot and events internationally, but yeah. Yeah. So I've kind of, cause it's never really been like the, the full startup route mm. for me cause I've never had to do the, I guess the hardest bit to some degree, which is the please investors. Can I have some money? So that's always been there. So it's been, <laughs> been at least a little bit easier. You've probably done one, I would argue you've done a bit, a bit harder. You've, you've convinced somebody that you work for, probably doing other things for them and quite successfully by the sounds of it, to, to, to give you an opportunity to, to start something brand new and, and, and go out there. And, and testament to what I've seen of the publication and the event series, you've, you've built an amazing foundation over the last, what? Thank you, man. You know, however many years it is since, since 2016. So, so fair play to you and um, well done to Rasmus and the team for, for seeing <laughs> the opportunity. Yeah, um, some of our listeners, uh, our public audience is obviously the, the event space, which, which covers live sport events, etc. cetera, um, but yeah. might not be too familiar with kind of the esports landscape. So, so for those that are not familiar, would you, you've mentioned betting already, but it's obviously a little bit wider and, and, and further afield than that. So could you yeah. give them a bit of a background of esports and how it's grown over the last couple of years, et cetera? Yeah, of course. I mean, esports is essentially a, just a different term and a different word for competitive video games, right? So it's whether it's 1v1 or multiple players, teams v teams, it's, it's people playing people. So esports, and I guess this is the important thing to, to note for newcomers to it, esports is a part of video games and a part of the, the gaming industry, but it's a very small, fast growing for sure, but a very small niche within video games generally. Esports is kind of the, the super competitive element of gaming. So it's, it's the best of the best at the top tier, at least playing the best of the best. And that's multiple games as well. So 
this again is one thing that I, I always try to drive home with people that are new to the space is that esports is very, very much an umbrella term, right? So just as mm. in sports, me personally, I'm a, I'm a football fan, Charlton, unfortunately, right now, <laughs> I'm a boxing fan um, and a tennis fan, I'd say first of all, yeah. but I don't care about rugby. I don't know anything about it. NFL, um, F1, even really kind of the same. Esports is basically the same as that. Like the only comparison across them is that they're played online, right? Or played uh, electronically and digitally. So there's multiple platforms for starters. There's PC, uh, there's console, of course. And increasingly now, and one of the fastest growing is mobile and mobile esports competitions. Under those as well, there's multiple game developers and publishers and also multiple games and different types of games. So just because you like CSGO, which is Counter-Strike and FPS title, and one of the biggest esports and most established esports titles, that doesn't mean at all that you like Dota 2, which is another one of the major esports titles. Just the same as, uh, the, same as the sports world, right? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, when I, I suppose when I first started out in my first I, won't, I'm gonna, I was going to say gaming career, but I, I wish I had a game a career in it. I, I kind of started out on, yeah, <laughs> I started out on, the, I think it was the Commodore 64 with the, with the tapes. So some of our listeners may remember kind of that and then grew up generationally through Nintendo and Sega and those kind of things, which big business, yeah. but relatively insular in the sense that you only tended to play with your friends as they came around and it was on a console. It was in, in your front room yeah. as I see it. Um, that's exploded with absolutely with mobile. I think everybody's heard of Candy Crush and those kind of games, which if you, if you actually look in the statistics of the money they make on a day-to-day -day basis, it's, it's astronomical. Mm -hmm. um, and then that goes into a whole sector and, and even further field. And actually now, well, I've now that everybody has much better access to connectivity, that creates that online multiplayer environment, doesn't it? Um, yeah. and, and, and millions upon millions of people in some instances playing playing games together. I mentioned to you, Sam, just before we started recording um, a current game called Call of Duty Modern Warfare, which is a, yeah. it's a series, but a relatively recent release. And I think the stats said the other day that they just passed 50 million um, players since launch, which is, uh, you know, the size of some large countries, never mind small yeah. ones. So... In terms, sure. of the, in terms of bringing people together. And I'd be really interested is to, is to talk about some of the business side of this because it's not necessarily the people playing the games or the developers developing the games to sell. It's now there's huge amounts of money involved, isn't there, as a business element to it, it just in, in terms of the whole industry and then the competitions that are out there and what some of these yeah. teams can, can win and stuff like that. Could you explain a little bit more about the, the business side of things? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a it's a big question, man. Because there's uh, again, there's because of the multiple players in it. There's like you mentioned, Call of Duty. So I guess the main difference as well is kind of obvious, but it's still it's worth banging the drum about. Is that a key difference between esports and sports? Is that no one like owns football as such, mm -hmm. despite FIFA's attempts to. <laughs> people do own, and like that's very clear. People do own each esports title. So ultimately, at like the top end. Tencent is a like the major Chinese company is a major major player in esports because it owns or at least owns parts of yeah. a lot of the a lot of the different segments from the publishers and the developers all the way down. So Axie Blizzard um, have Overwatch, Call of Duty, Hearthstone, like some big titles, but Riot Games, which is ultimately owned by Tencent, have League of Legends and they're currently developing a number more. The way esports works is that it's it's tricky because it's somewhat at the whim of the developers understandably because it's their ip right so it's yeah. their title so there's kind of as an over basic overview there's two ways that the game developers approach esports and that affects essentially everything about it and what teams enter it and the business around it and the ecosystem around it as well so what Axi blizzard have chosen to do and Riot Games with League of Legends uh, tag more recently is essentially franchise their top tier competitions. So for the for Axie Blizzard, for the Overwatch League and for the COD League, teams in certain cities have been able to purchase um, or at least apply to purchase a spot in those leagues. And reportedly they've gone from anything from 20 million to I've heard 40 plus, uh, 
God knows what, a large amount of millions being thrown about, and that's to guarantee themselves a spot in one of those franchise leagues. So the Call of Duty League, which has just started this year, and the Overwatch League as well, which has been going a, a little bit longer. So this would be the equivalent to bring it back to what most people know as sport, football, rugby, etc. It would be those teams, it would be the Manchester United, the Man United, the Chelsea's, etc. Spending that kind of money to, to essentially play within FIFA and that's what's happening in esports then. In, yeah, in certain, so in certain titles. So in, in the League of Legends, yes, because you have the LEC in Europe and it's equivalent in North America where teams have purchased and secured a spot in the league. So essentially... They can finish bottom, but they're still in it the next year, right? And that's the same in the Call of Duty League. And they've also, both Overwatch and Call of Duty have, or are attempting to at least, uh, localise it a bit more. So <laughs> you have the London, to keep it locals here, you have the London Spitfire in Overwatch and you have the London Royal Ravens um, in Call of Duty. Those teams are actually owned by different companies and also companies that aren't based in London, funnily enough. But uh, wow. that's that they're the London teams. So they're trying to create um, a sense of a London identity, of course, and a, a more local following a local fan base. Like my reason for supporting Charlton is I didn't have a choice because my granddad was born over the road. And so I was taken there as a kid when, uh, when we were a little bit better. And <laughs> um, I would never change that, of course. Love the club. I'd never change that. But that hasn't really happened in esports, at least yet. Will it ever happen to the same degree? Who's to say? Overwatch and COD are hoping that it does, but obviously that's something where they can try and push and fast track, but ultimately it's generational. The so flip I, side, sorry, man. I was just going to say, so I've got two questions for you on that. One is, if somebody's investing 40 million, they've got to be making yeah. more than 40 million back or the opportunity, shall we say, maybe it's a little bit like the stock market, the opportunity to make yeah. 40 million. So first question to you would be, how are they doing that? And the second to follow up to that, to stitch that together is, if these companies aren't based in, in, in the UK, which is it, it's kind of irrelevant, I suppose, in sense of just this is how companies operate, what type of companies are investing and building these esports teams to make businesses tick? Yeah, 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 it's, it's a good question. Because kind of like there's the, the franchise model, which is super expensive to answer, right? And then just to explain quickly, there's also the more open ecosystem which is what esports or whatever you called it in the past was up until then which was where so riot games and Active blizzard run those tier one competitions themselves or they keep it kind of in-house whereas the open format which is there's a developer called valve who have yep. the titles csgo and dota 2 so two of the most alongside league of legends really two of the most established esports titles valve don't really run things themselves they offer it out to the third party tournament operators and that is where and that is how kind of the industry develops more widely and that is how esl who by most metrics are arguably the biggest esports company in the world um we play starladder face it and so on these are the the tournament operators that will uh, apply to Valve to run those major competitions. Okay. So that's kind of the other side of it. And teams don't, there's no buy-in and it's, it's kind of more competitive in that way. But then the argument for the franchise leagues is that, which I understand that um, it's kind of in a way easier to commercialize because one thing that esports teams and rights holders have struggled with a bit and still do today is um securing a number of big name sponsors and don't get me wrong like over the past couple of years they've been coming in like just the other day bmw signed some big deals with them i think it was five esports teams globally which is huge and that there's plenty of different examples of major brands like that and others coming in but one thing that is difficult is that up until fairly recently esports tournaments have been like if I'm sponsoring a Premier League team, I know that it's going to be broadcast here. It's yeah. this day, it's this time next year, and it's going to be broadcast here in Asia, here in the UK, and so on. And I know exactly, not exactly, but I have a good idea of how many viewers it will have, where it will be shown, where my brand is pushed, social, all of that. What Overwatch League and Call of Duty are getting pretty good at is packaging that together because they're able to better schedule ahead of time all of that, all the games where the home matches are, etc. 
and in turn they're able to better negotiate media rights deals which is another big big thing and another not missing slash the pie in esports but one which needs to grow pretty fast to enable like the continued trajectory of the industry now because media rights obviously premier league football all sports is a huge huge part of it sure esports for uh just give one example Nuzu which is an analytics firm mm-hmm. in the space, did a report recently, and this was before um, COVID, of course, but their projected estimates on esports revenues, I think in the next 12 months, was about 1.1 billion total globally. Of that, I think it was like 690-something was through sponsorship, right. which is good in a way, because like big sponsors are coming in and spending a bit more, but that isn't a good thing as such, and it should be, the media rights should definitely be a bigger part of it. It sounds to me that there's there's quite a lot of similarities between the esports industry and the events industry in, you know, a lot of it relies on sponsorship and big corporates pumping money into want to do events, align their brand with events, etc. Yeah. And I don't know whether this is the same for esports, but one of the challenges that the industry and the event space is trying to overcome mm-hmm. is the value proposition against digital advertising, right? So, so you're actually in a digital world, esports is digital, but there's still this huge pressure to prove ROI or, or return on objective as such. And events take place in a physical place as such that they're sometimes harder to quantify apart from eyeballs. As, 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 as esports up until now kind of had the same challenges to, to prove to these big sponsors like BMW that, you know, this however many x million or whatever thousand pound you're investing is actually worth it does mean car sales down further down the line is is that how you're seeing it as well yeah for sure i mean there's been some strange brands in the space right like we at our esi events we do these esi brand showcases which is essentially that it's just a a talk at one of our conferences and it's a case study of a, a like a successful activation in esports right and we tend to and try to go for ones that are maybe like a little bit more surprising. Like the, the Logitechs and the Intels of the world have been supporting esports and HyperX have been supporting esports yep. for a long time, but it's kind of obvious why, because it's like direct to consumer and that's, it's clear who they're targeting. Our two that we did at ESI London last year were ESL and DHL, which is one of the best, in my opinion, still best like brand partnerships that has taken place in esports, at least um, in the time I've been involved in it. Similarly, and a kind of even weirder, the LEC, which is the main European League of Legends championship, they had a partnership with Bico. So the company that make uh, fridges and, I don't know, do they do toasters? They I do all the so, kitchens. Yeah, yeah there's something like that. There's other brands are yeah, available. <laughs> exactly. Microwaves, maybe, who knows? But they, um, they're a kitchen appliances company. And you probably wouldn't think that East How Fox, does that translate? Yeah, well, League of Legends specifically, the League of Legends fans are there other target markets as such but what's again what's important to understand is that i think there's still this misconception that esports fans and it's not even that's not even a statement worth making in my opinion because there's mm. league of legends fans and dota fans and csgo fans pubg mobile fans. they're very different demographics from age to gender to region as well pubg mobile um in india and indonesia massive okay. not so big here but that in turn affects how brands um, what brands should do first and foremost in esports because just like entering esports is not a good way to go. Like brands should consider which game and which region and so on. But okay. yeah, and LEC renewed, um, rather Bico renewed that deal with the LEC. But is it a challenge for the rights holders in esports to convince these brands of the ROI and such? Yes, absolutely. Both in the first place, in terms of there needs to be a lot of education with the brands generally at least and like there's eight big agencies that are helping with that now we help with that now as do a lot of companies in the space but there needs to be a lot more of it a lot more of it and in turn when it comes to the end of these deals like some of the tier one teams in esports are pretty good at it now and there's companies that offer like the sponsorship analytics side which is so commonplace in in football and traditional sports in esports that has to be adapted a bit because people consume it differently and we're getting there, but we're maybe not there yet. And that's a challenge for esports teams to renew these deals, to sign these deals and also to 
know truly what their what their value is yeah i suppose there's part of um as the evolution of esports goes on and these teams evolve and learn and do deals and learn and do more deals yeah their proposition becomes more founded and they understand the value i think there's there's probably and this is the same for the events industry there's probably a lot of people that feel a little bit on the back foot initially with a sponsorship deal are just happy to get one and actually probably maybe for that first event or even for subsequent events massively understand what they should be getting for that but you know there is still some value to getting a big brand on like Beco and then using that as leverage going forward to to say just on the just on that deal it might, might not be that deal that you can give us any insight but what kind of statistics and information what what kind of quantifiable stuff are they using to go right you got this out of it Biko, and that's enough for Biko to to re-sign um yeah. i don't want you to give any in, individual deals away because that might, might be sensitive but in, in yeah, general yeah, what are people kind of looking for of course i mean i guess it's it's not it's not too dissimilar to um signing deals with sports teams in a way right it's not too dissimilar but i guess it depends on it depends on which game you're entering and if you're sponsoring a tournament, for example, and that's a one-off, if it's a series, if it's a team, as an example, are you the headline sponsor of the team or are you sponsoring just their CSGO or for example, because like one, one good example here, and I guess like comparative to what people might know better in the sports world is that betting sponsors are absolutely and betting partners and bookmakers are absolutely in esports and it's very competitive now and they sponsor the teams and some of the tournaments and such. One issue there is that they're able to do that in CSGO, for example, very much established in CSGO, Riot Games and Activision Blizzard. So League of Legends, COD and Overwatch do not allow their teams to have betting sponsors. So that, so that's a stumbling block to that, yeah. right? But yeah, in terms of what they can do, so it's the usual stuff. It's um, it's the front of shirt sponsor or other jersey sponsors. There's activations at events. There's the social media stuff. Also, a lot of the big teams, a lot of their players will also stream themselves or be kind of more social media personalities themselves, as is and has been beginning to happen in football, which I think will... 100% continue with like the Jesse Lingards and the younger players who are kind of more immediately savvy and have grown up with social media stuff. That's going to happen more and more. But the the players and the individuals in esports are kind of their more their own brand themselves alongside the team. And in turn, the teams like sell the merchandise. So there's yeah. that. If you have the sponsor, you sell the merch. And the actual physical events is a massive thing as well. Like the international, which is the biggest Dota 2 tournament, which has a prize pool of, I think last year it was like 27 million or something along those lines. It's, it's a lot of money, but that's the pinnacle of Dota. That is, I think it's still going ahead. I'm assuming it's going to be moved, but we'll see. So that's due to take place in Stockholm in August. That, like tens of thousands of people will descend upon the city for that. And like, whether you get a ticket, it's kind of a good luck situation. It's very, very hard. But even if you don't, people will go to Stockholm anyway to be just as people do, obviously not in the same numbers, but just as you do the World Cup, you'll go there to go to the fan zones and be a part of it. And there'll be activations and different events and viewing parties around it. So there's plenty that teams can do there to kind of um, support their brand partners and such. Sounds very much like that event is the Glastonbury of esports then by the Something like that. I mean, there's, things. There, there are, there's the gaming festivals is another one worth calling out. So this is not just esports. This is gaming more widely, but Dreamhack is, um, and based in Stockholm, they're a company which has been running since 94. And they started off as just like the, like big land parties, like people will bring their PCs and they'd be just like very small prizes and people bring their PCs and compete at Dreamhack festivals. They now have DreamHacks in India, Brazil, Dallas, still Sweden, obviously, elsewhere. Um, obviously, that's been affected by the current crisis. But I think yeah. they were going to be about 12 or maybe more this year. And there's esports tournaments for big prize pools within those. But also, it's just like a, I think they call it the Digital Gaming Festival. So I'd say they're, 
they're the closest thing to, to the Glastos of the gaming world. So events clearly play a quite a big role, even though esports is is played mostly digital through you know mobile devices, laptops, yep. PCs, gaming consoles, etc. It sounds like underpinned in that is very much a, a buoyant events world that bring those people together and obviously create even more. I would imagine business opportunities for sponsorships and ticket sales and yep. t-shirts and all that kind of stuff as well, right? Have you got any sight on kind of how big that might be globally, roughly, in, in maybe in terms of number of events and stuff? I, yeah, it's impossible to say, mate. There, there's a lot. <laughs> Put it that way. I mean, in, in Call of Duty alone, each of the teams would, <clears throat> it's just started this year, again, mm -hmm. obviously on hold, but in an ordinary um, situation, each of the teams will do a, a home series event um that's just call of duty overwatch league similarly um lec goes on throughout the year and they have um events in berlin it's league of legends equivalent in north america they do the same and like like team liquid i think they announced their mascot at one of the ones not too long ago okay. um, yeah. one of the the physical um lcs events there and then dreamhacks there's plenty of those and thousands and thousands of people go to those so yeah in terms of hard numbers for all of it it's it's very hard to say, but it's, uh, yeah, I assure you, it's uh, a lot of people. <laughs> Maybe that's something that ESI and EIN can collaborate on from a, from a, a sector-specific and an event-specific side of things. How much, how much does this market make up of the event space and yeah. how much business does that make for, for the eSports the e space as well? I think that'd be really interesting. For sure. I mean, one thing that I, I've been banging on about a lot recently is I'm kind of perplexed that the, the travel industry to date hasn't made more of a play into mm. esports specifically because the, the likes of the likes of Fnatic and and others excuse me no problem it's got a close slack being bombarded um the likes of Fnatic um team vitality liquid um eg and plenty more of the big teams they that's also i guess what i probably should have said earlier it's important to understand that esports teams typically are like like you have Barcelona for, uh, football first and foremost, but they have basketball, right? Do they have yeah. hockey as well? I don't know, but they compete in other sports. Esports teams, Fnatic, I think, are in maybe 10 different games right now. Okay. Vitality, I think, are in eight or nine. And there's, you can go through, it changes fairly often as well, so it's pretty hard to keep tabs on. But all of these teams will travel to events, which means that a number of people, including coaches and the business side of it and whoever else are flying with the team, like they'll probably send like video people with them as well to create content on the way. That's a lot of people flying. That's a lot of people staying in hotels and Airbnbs and whatever. And that's before you even consider the fans. It's insane to me that more like airlines have done bits and pieces. Don't get me wrong, but it's insane to me that like booking.com, Airbnb, hotels, whichever other airlines, BA have done next to nothing in esports right now when it's a a huge huge market segment that um that they're probably missing out on because yes yeah, it's, it's big events for sure well anybody listening to this that's working for any of those in the events division let your let your <laughs> let your peers and and Please guys stay. above you know because yeah i could i can imagine you know just thinking about the whole experience of let's say people going from the uk to the states and yeah. got to be enough people that would potentially go out and support their team and watch their teams that you could get coaches together you know yeah. everybody could get gear yeah. crazy ideas of even maybe an airline would live their up livy up i'm 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 destroying that word but you know what i mean they would like brand the plane with that spot with that team yeah. just for the activation yeah like, that presents probably a huge amount of tourism spend but probably untracked at the moment actually I, I might reach out to a couple of my contacts at a couple of those companies and see if they're doing anything because yeah it would it exactly. present a massive business opportunity and like for the for the cities as well like um Katowice does which is one of like the i'm not sure where it is on the list but it's certainly not the biggest city in poland but mm. Katowice is like a a famous name in esports because iem has been there for for a number of years and there's studies, there's been studies into that, I think, into an event in Rotterdam and certain other events as to the kind of like the local tourism um, economic impact of hosting one of these major esports events, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, like tracking hotel bookings as to 
normally that period of the year, like local restaurants, bars, blah, 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 everything. It's a, and it's a big impact. And like, that's, that's not going to change. That's not going to slow down. If anything, that's going to continue growing considerably with, uh, with the industry. So yeah, certainly, um, certainly an interesting part of it. And I'd love to know some harder numbers overall. Though. Well, I can give you one. I know of a tech event um, which was originally based in Ireland that is now based in Prague. I think it's Prague or Portugal. Mm-hmm. And um, it's worth £20 million a year for them to host that event there. That's how much the local government pay wow. that event organiser to host what is essentially probably a week of a week event. The, 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 the business side of it takes place over three days, but then they have kind of like night summits, which pushes money into the economy. Yeah. Extend that out over a, a weekend with a surf summit and et cetera. But that's like a, that's a three year deal. So that's 60 million quid just to turn up to, to that country to host your event. I think I read that, I think, um, cause I was going to go, we were going to be on a panel and everything. I'm quite disappointed. But uh, South by Southwest, I think for the city of Austin is worth, I think I read like 300 million or something insane because like yeah. South by is, I guess, Austin's busiest period of the year. I think it, it lasts for two weeks in total, yeah. something like that. Yeah. So it's crazy. And that's obviously a lot of people coming to the city. That's both the business conference side, but there's like gigs every night and multiple venues. It's, it's huge. Well, let's so, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Obviously, like esports isn't quite there, but the Dream Hacks and everything, the big ESL events, and so on definitely yeah bring a sizable boost to um two cities i think probably somebody just needs to put that together right because yeah if you take one game like card 50 million players over a very short period of time relatively times 10 events and there's some probably games out there so, sorry 10 games and there's some probably games out there much much bigger in player base than let's say call of duty yeah um or quite a wide range of player base as well probably dads with their sons and younger generations all playing together as well you know even to let's say call of duty if you could capture one percent of 50 million people as an attendee you'd have a great event right you run events yourself you know what it means in terms of numbers so yeah maybe there's an opportunity out there for for these organizations that run these leagues to to work with destinations and and travel companies and all that kind of stuff to stitch it all together so it's a really kind of like i'm going to say disney world-esque package right yeah, that's how that works together. You buy your package through a tour operator, but it's all managed through Disney and all that kind of stuff. And you go and you experience this fantastic thing and you come away and you have memories and stuff. And maybe there's an opportunity there for somebody or for these companies to stitch that all together and, and make a, an amazing experience. Yeah, I mean, most definitely. I, mean, I, I kind of as well, I mean, it's just, it's an opportunity for the airlines, the hotels and such, like what they, what Emirates spend on marketing and like the Champions League and whatever else. I have no idea. I assume it's a pretty penny. They, there's a lot that pretty penny could be stretched probably a lot further if they were to do stuff in esports for sure. And it's people travel in their droves, most certainly. I mean, we're working with, there's also the, a part of it as well. We're um, doing a bit of work with a company called Daimani who do VIP hospitality for, I think they do Wimbledon F1 and other kind of major sports events. They're doing bits and pieces now as they begin to enter esports and the VIP packages, kind of as you said, like packaging it up to go to the international or to go to ESL One Cologne or whatever. There's a lot that I think the tournament operators and the event organizers could do in terms of a offering more. They do do it. Don't get me wrong, but offering more premium package mm-hmm. options and companies like Daimani, like that's kind of their bread and butter. And that's definitely something that I personally think there's a an audience for and an appetite for. It just hasn't been fully offered um to date or at least pushed that hard that lots of people know about it yeah when you when you think about people with larger incomes or more disposable income and maybe it's access to some of those players maybe it's preferential seating seeing the same hotel all that kind of stuff that's that stuff we know how much tickets go for world cup experiences and stuff like that don't we and and formula one and stuff like it's big big money and i can absolutely see the way of of esports going in exactly the same direction i'd argue that would you agree with me that esports could be bigger than sports in general uh in terms of as a global impact i mean i'm thinking about all my friends that buy games or play games even my my wife plays games and she's not a sports fan 
yeah, not a sports but... fan whatsoever. So it's like almost does it does that does that whole esports landscape actually capture more of the global market than let's say football, which has to be you're on the right side of town or you're introduced to football, etc. It's it's almost for me kind of got, got a wider wider net than than physical sports. Uh, I, yeah, I see where you're coming from. I wouldn't the um, I'd say no. <laughs> but no, maybe, no, disagree with me. If you think I'm wrong, don't agree with me. I don't know. I mean, it, like video games. Don't get me wrong. Video games, yeah. Like the the video games industry already generates more revenue than things like music and film combined, right? Yeah. Like video games are huge, and like there's this weird stigma that people that like play Candy Crush or like play little games on their phone or play the odd game on um, Xbox, there's like some kind of weird reluctance to. Um, referring to themselves as gamers yeah like they are though like most people at least of a certain age play a game like play video games in some capacity like video and that's again not going to change that's going to continue to grow and so that as an entertainment form is yeah it isn't going anywhere it's just going to get bigger and bigger bigger than sports absolutely in terms of like an entertainment pursuit but esports is i think um a little way i mean it is a little bit different and like just because you like playing a couple of the games here and there and like you, you play a bit of cod yourself that doesn't yeah. mean you're gonna spend your weekends watching it or travel to go and watch it i'm sure that again that's going to grow and it's going to change but i personally think that's it's got a way to go like these these comparisons that we've seen thrown about in the past couple of years how like esports is now bigger than like the nba yeah like, it's, it's one wrong and two meaningless because what is an esports fan? If you're including all esports viewership and comparing it to one competition in basketball, or whatever, okay, but meaning this stat, right? right? And football has been established for a long time, as have all sports. I don't think they're going anywhere. I also don't think there needs to be this like um, constant, it's an easy comparison. I use yeah. it myself a lot because it's easy to translate it, but there doesn't need to be this comparison. It doesn't need to be like, like the NFL doesn't need to be scared of esports in general it needs to embrace it better like football clubs personally i think I, i'm obviously a big football fan so i'm most keen on that in terms of sport crossovers but like f1 are doing a fantastic job some football clubs like psg um like um, fc copenhagen with north they're doing a fantastic job but there's other football clubs and other football competitions that could do a lot more so would they you embrace it to help grow and sustain and globalize their own fan base like PSG um a partner with a Chinese team I wonder why yeah <laughs> so would you like to see less of a distinction between sports and esports and more actually of a collaborative more approach as a, as a whole ecosystem rather than each individual standing totally separate exactly like, exactly like football there's a lot of FIFA on right now as I'm sure you've noticed sure. like FIFA, the, I think <laughs> I won't say you, but one book of the day told me FIFA's now in their top five um, esports betting markets, which is crazy because like FIFA viewership normally is is nowhere near there. But obviously with no football apart from uh, Belarus, which I watched a bit of and I probably won't again. <laughs> but, <laughs> there's, not much, there's not much to bet on and people love it. So there's a lot of football that's doing the FIFA bit, which is grand. Also, what I hope this is the result of all this is that uh, the football clubs better understand mm. opportunities for it. There's loads they can do. Like at, at Cholton, Johnny Williams, he was like streaming FIFA the other day. He was streaming COD last night <laughs> on, on Switch. And it's great to see. And like, hopefully more of that happens over, over the next year or so. That's amazing, mate. And, and how does, let's talk a little bit more about EIS then. How, how do you support that sector through your publication and events? What do people get out of engaging with with you as a as a publication that kind of talks to the industry yeah so we've so started off i think as i said um, at the beginning of this as esportsinsider.com and that essentially covers the b2b side of it so the industry and business of esports specifically so essentially if a team if fanatic sign a new roster in a certain game that's grand but that's not something we cover when mm -hmm. Fnatic sign deals with BMW or OnePlus or whoever else, that is our bread and butter in terms of news day to day. So um, beyond the news, there's opinion pieces, interviews and more. We also have the Esports Journal now, which is a JV with a company called LMG. And that's um, a home for longer form content and a magazine, both digital and print. And it's essentially just a place where people can come for 
day to day for the latest information on esports as it develops globally. We have journalists um, around the world. So Adam Fitch, who's our editor, is I'll be far too nice to him, but he's absolutely brilliant. Like he's and the team we've developed over the past six months or so is it's one I'm really proud of. And like we're growing all the time. And it's yeah, essentially the the Forbes of esports, I guess. But it's it's also esports purely as opposed to um the video games industry, which that's far too stressful to cover day to day, mate. Far too much going on. Yeah, I like how you've gone for Forbes and the, you've gone for you've gone for America. We we describe ourselves or, or like to think of ourselves as the BBC. Um, oh, I don't okay. know who's, who's better there. And what, what about your events? Because you were supposed to have an event that you were going to be leaving the UK for this this coming Friday, right? What was yeah. what was that whole event about? Before obviously um, COVID interrupted that. Yeah, breaking my heart because it was supposed to be my birthday and I was supposed to be there. But yeah, we had a uh, we had ESI New York, which we did for the first time last year. We had ESI New York <clears throat> penned in in Manhattan for the twenty seventh and twenty eighth of April, and mm-hmm. that was going to be a full two day conference. So. I think about 60 speakers overall in panel sessions, keynotes and workshops and such. We also had two parts of that event we do, one which is the Clutch, which is a pitch investment competition. So startups related to the esports space come, yeah. they pitch in front of the audience, which I imagine is fairly stressful, but last year they did yeah. all pretty well, and to the investors and judges as well. And so Deloitte are the partner for that, they still are, and we've rescheduled it. So that's, that should be really good. And then we also have the ESI Hall of Fame where we bring in three more kind of deserving individuals who've made a big impact to the esports industry over the years. We bring in three more to the ESI Hall of Fame each year. And that was, we announced them on the night. But uh, that I would was, say is that, that bridging event over the evening that yeah, get people have a few drinks and stuff like that, right? Exactly. Watch the videos and cheer and then they get past the awards. But it was at the Natural History Museum um, in year one. It was in LA last year and then it will now be at the end of the year for 2020 um in new york and then yeah beyond that there's the exhibition area as normal the networking meetings the pre-scheduled meetings the usual that you'd find um at most sports business conferences you've been to but ours is is purely esports focused so yeah we'll do new york end of the year now and i suppose just because this podcast will be launched released during especially what here is in the UK, still a lockdown. How have you and your team found the challenge of maintaining and managing those relationships, rescheduling, working with sponsors and and ticket holders and things like that? Have you found it? How have you found it? I don't want to put words into your mouth. Yeah, um, it was a challenge, of course. I mean, no one saw this coming, right? And I imagine the venues, it's the events companies, it's hit incredibly hard, but the Mm -hmm. venues, I guess, pretty much as hard right because they would have had every single booking dropping out um in the course of i imagine a a couple of weeks yeah yeah the venue um have allowed us to reschedule it to the end of the year we checked all of that with our sponsors and partners first and foremost fortunately we hadn't pushed it too hard in terms of marketing so it wasn't um it wasn't a huge amount of tickets that we had to kind of sort out but all our sponsors and partners like Game in Malta, Grid, We Are Nations and more um, are still backing us and have, we're, we're very, very helpful and supportive with us moving the event to the end of the year. So, yeah, same format, same venue, uh, which is in, um, in Manhattan. And, yeah, just different dates, basically. Unfortunately, New York will be a little bit colder and people are going to need to bring their big coats. But what can you do? Hey, listen, it's, it's nice that time of year. I've, I've been... Yeah, it's magical, right? <laughs> That's it. It's like home alone. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, other than that, I guess we've, we've been focusing more um, in the meantime on our media arm. So our media yeah. arm, the sponsored content opportunities across the site, uh, the magazine, advertising and so on, and also white label content where we offer it to, um, to companies to use as, as they please, like eSports. Yeah content is that's been growing a lot and obviously all the eyes on esports and attention on esports in recent weeks has probably been a big part of that so we have the media arm that we're focusing on and esi connect where it's essentially akin to an agency service where we connect the rights holders primarily the teams and the tournament operators to brands suppliers investors that maybe realize or think there's an opportunity in esports for them but aren't sure how to navigate the space so we help to translate it help to navigate it for them and then make the the right connections um with the rights holders 
I think it's interesting, um, uh, first and foremost, that you went to your sponsors first. I think, I think there's a lot yeah. of lessons to be learned there before you make any decisions internally about your events and things. And, and I'm sure many, many of organizers have either done this themselves or, or even fallen foul of, of not engaging with them and moving and shifting mm-hmm. and then realizing there's been recent, very, very large um, publication about Basel World, which is the watch event and Rolex and, and a number of others have, have pulled out and have decided to go to another event because they weren't engaged enough with that organizer before they decided to, yeah. to move. So when you're in, the, in that sense, you've got some big sponsors and you don't, then you are at massive risk from, from losing that relationship and revenue against that event. So, so fair play yeah. to you for, for taking the right kind of structure and format in, in doing that. Yeah, and you. I think secondly to that, it's interesting that you have similarities between us at Event Industry News, which we run events and events play a, a, a large role in, in kind of our business operation and our, our community outreach programs and things mm-hmm. like that. But actually what's, what's been kind of corner pinned to us having, all still working through this period, is having a publication and diversifying through our audience what we offer yeah. that audience in terms of communication and then how we support the industry the rest of the year round when those events aren't happening. I've seen a number of organizers who have great events, amazing events, much, much bigger than, than I have, yeah. but because they solely rely on events, their, their revenue stream just evaporated overnight and yeah. scrambling to pivot to virtual, don't have any other options, kind of like even sometimes doing stuff for free just to keep their head around. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a lesson learned to people that just focus on events is actually have a diverse portfolio and find ways to leverage that audience and offer other things that audience of value, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that's yeah for sure. Like events was our uh, main revenue stream, but obviously nature of the business is able to pivot a a bit more easily. So we're also we'll be announcing our first digital conference, the ESI Digital Summit, quite soon. So yeah, we'll be announcing that. in about a week's time. I'm not sure when this goes out. <laughs> about this will be, the, 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 we'll, we'll link in the show notes because this will go out after that and um, you'll be able to oh. check out the, the virtual conference. and event. Yeah, perfect. So yeah, we'll be where the ESI Digital Summit soon. So that's one. We've also, so that's still B2B, just obviously online, um, online networking and the online digital panels. One more new project we've got that we've announced um, already this week is the, the WFH League. So the, Work from home, win from home league. So that's uh, <clears throat> that's season one. This is in partnership with, which that's where we'll go for those beers, mate. When when London is open again, it's a bar called Platform, which is like um, a gaming and esports bar slash restaurant. It's near Old Street. It's like really nice. The pizza is amazing, um, and they've got good beers and drinks on tap. Sold. Yeah, sold. Yeah, sold. <laughs> yeah, they've got like the foods where you can play the consoles. They've got like the retro gaming bit, just the normal seating area, and they've got like the in partnership with ESL, they've got like the 5v5 PCs and like all high end and like the, the proper esports kit. So it's really cool. Um, so we've been planning to do this WFH League app platform with them for a while and have it in person. Obviously, yeah. season one, that ain't happening. But season one, instead, we're going to do online. So we're essentially inviting companies. So the point of it is it's, it's companies versus companies, rather HSBC versus Barclays or whatever. Um, it's going to be CSGO. Uh, wingman so 2v2 and fifa only ps4 i don't know if that's your game mate. but uh, oh, we'll try to do it next time <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it should be really good and obviously like because corporate leagues there's one in france which is awesome robert you an agency called the the out of office league like ooo league yeah. so we very much copied them and i, I told my shoe that so it's fine but <laughs> theirs is online only whereas we plan to do it bringing people together yeah i'm surprised no i love, one that. Has yet, I like, love that you know yeah. I've, I've i've been saying for a long time that i would love to do some kind of event industry white collar boxing tournament event series yeah. um just because we have crewing companies with some absolutely massive henchmen who probably would absolutely go to town and i'm a combat sports person i, I love combat sports um so I, that that just for me brought that together but in fairness not everybody's into that not everybody's yeah. into the whole yeah. combat sports it's a bit too much for some people all that kind of stuff 
And, and I think that's great. Just thinking about things slightly differently and bringing people into a venue like platform, which I'd, I'd love to see. I've not seen that one yeah, awesome. in a different environment and, and, and around the game and all that kind of stuff. I think that's a, that's a great way to, to, to build and, and broadcast an event. That's, that's great. Yeah, definitely. Cause I mean, you have like, sorry about sign up before there's like a corporate badminton league in London and there's like tennis. There's obviously there's loads of five side football and stuff, but there isn't, at least that I know of, there isn't, um, no. excuse me, a gaming one. And I guess some, one reason, I'm sure people have considered it before, but one reason is just venue yeah. and space to do it. And there's, there's others, don't get me wrong, but like platform is um, a great shout for that. And I've known the guys that run it for, for a while back when it was just like a, a nice lookbook and idea. So yeah, it should, it should come together quite nicely, I think. And let's be honest with you, there's always, or there has been for many, many years, and they don't, you don't see them that much now, an arcade machine in the corner, haven't you? Or a, or a fruit yeah, machine exactly. or something like that. And you always hold around that with your mates and stuff. So, so why not make yeah. that a bit, a bit corporate? The closest thing I've seen is a, is a company in London called Restron, which they're kind of, they bring kind of those old school games, consoles, et cetera, and setting up an event up for you. But that's more on a corporate level, but, but platform and, and that opportunity to bring people together in leagues like that sounds like a, like an amazing opportunity. Yeah. Fingers crossed that like we've already had a, a fair bit of interest and we only like kind of soft <clears throat> announced it. What day is it yesterday? So yeah. 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 I imagine there's like eight teams for CS, eight teams for FIFA to begin with. And that should be enough to, for us to get going. So yeah, fingers crossed all goes well. That's amazing, Sam. So to, to wrap up, where for anybody that wants to check out ESI, yourself, connect up with you, check your events, all that kind of stuff, where can people go and get involved and subscribe and follow and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, um, I mean, LinkedIn is probably the easiest. I mean, obviously, the, the website is esportsinsider.com. You can sign up to the newsletter. It's only twice a week, so it's not annoying. Don't worry. And uh, you can just. Well, we do ask three, you don't say that. We do. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm never sure. Maybe you tell me. But yeah, um, probably easiest on LinkedIn. Just reach out to me on there, and yeah, happy to talk anyone through the space that's new to it and has any questions or whatever. That's amazing, Sam. Sam, thank you very much for coming on the Event Industry News podcast. You definitely opened up my eyes to the wider world of esports. I, I had a, a bit of an overview and, and, and the event side of that has, has been very fascinating actually and, and what that means for, for my sector as well. Um, I will link to you guys in the show notes so anybody listening to this, if, if you did enjoy hearing me and Sam talk about esports, do give this podcast a share, um, connect up with us, like it, that really does help discoverability and obviously help this podcast go further. Sam, thank you very much for joining me today and um, look forward to that beer in London at Platform. Definitely. Thank you, mate.